When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, it's Giles here. What's your very first memory? We hope these conversations make you think back to your early days. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Welcome to another episode of Rosebud. to this week's episode. Ben Okri, first published at the age of only 19 with the novel Flowers and Shadows. His big triumph, of course, was winning the Booker Prize for The Famished Road in 1991. He was the youngest ever winner. Now, he's more than a novelist. He's a climate activist. He's a poet. He's a father. His latest work is called Tiger Work. I recorded this conversation with Ben at the Grosvenor House Hotel in London's Park Lane. I know the hotel quite well. In fact, every year here, I host a party to mark my admiration for Oscar Wilde, the great Irish playwright, poet, wit. And I'm president of the Oscar Wilde Society. And we have this party and hundreds of people come, all sorts. And interesting people propose a toast. And a couple of years ago, I asked Ben Oakley to propose the toast. In fact, he suggested to me that he should propose the toast. I remember that now. He came up to me. and We were doing a signing session at Hatchard's Bookshop in London. And I happened to be signing my books at a table that had been used by Oscar Wilde when he had signed books at this same bookshop in the 1880s. And I told Ben this story. He said, I know about this party that you have every year. Why don't you invite me? You you get amazing people like, you know, Queen Camilla to come along. Why not me? So I invited him to come. It's a few years ago. And he read some aphorisms by Oscar Wilde. And he did it with such energy. He turned Oscar Wilde from this strange aesthete from the 1880s and 1890s. He made him alive 140 years later in a new way. I thought this is fascinating. Here is this Nigerian-born writer and poet bringing to life this Irish-born writer and poet several generations later. So he's an unusual human being. Anyway, I recorded this conversation with Ben, and of course he was wearing his trademark beret and spoke eloquently as he does. He's a great talker. Uh, He talked about his childhood in Nigeria and briefly in Peckham, the civil war in Nigeria, about which 
I knew something but not enough, and his terrifying encounter with a dead body, and about the time he slept rough in London when he was starting out as a writer. So if you know Ben Oakry, I don't think you know him quite as well as you will know him in half an hour or so. Welcome to this week's Rosebud. Ben, I'm going to begin by asking you the question with this podcast we always begin with. I want you to see if you can tell me what your very first real memory was, the very first memory in your head of your life. I'm tempted to say, because I've never seen any pictures of them, and they're very clear in my head, ground nut pyramids. Ground nut pyramids. What are ground nut pyramids? Pyramids made of ground nuts. And where would this have been and when? In the north, north of Nigeria, a place called Mina, where I was born, away from, away from my mum and dad's um, home, because they're both southerners and easterners. My dad went to the north to, to get work uh, on his way to England to study. Um, and um, I was born there in Mina, a place called Mina. And these, and, yes, explain to me what these would have been. They're, Where, they're pyramids. They produce groundnuts. Uh, yeah. There's a, you know, a lot of groundnut farming in that part of Nigeria. And they'd make pyramids out of them. And you have um, a picture of these pyramids quite clearly in your head. I've never seen a picture of them, but I remember it's the heat, it's the heat, the flatness of the landscape, and these and this pyramids, I just remember them. And how old um, would you have been, under two? I would have been about uh, a year and a half or a year and a quarter. Set the scene for us. You were born in Nigeria. Who are your parents? What part of Nigeria are you born in? I was born in, uh, in, in the north of Nigeria. My dad's from the south. He's from um, uh, the Delta, um, um, Urubu people. Uh, my mother is from the east. She's half Igbo, half, half Agbo. So explain to people who don't know and you've shared this with me before, so I have a bit of understanding, about Nigeria and these different tribes and the significance of your parents coming from different parts of Nigeria and belonging to different tribes. Just try and outline, if you can, this complicated yes, history. it's very complicated. I'll, 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 do it, I'll do it very briefly. Nigeria is, um, is a, a nation um, of... I'm going to give a very conservative estimate of over 300 languages and, and distinct languages, not dialects. It's very important to remember that. So we're talking 300 distinct peoples with their mythologies, philosophies, stories, rites, rituals, initiations, worldviews. Um, and this, this, this gives to Nigeria a, a kind of a tremendous energy, a great restlessness, um, an astonishing, dizzying diversity. It also gives, when you walk through Lagos, it gives the eye um, a rather bewildering fecundity of, of facial landscapes um, because all the distinct peoples have distinct faces. And when you've, known, when you've known the different tribes for long enough, you can look at a face and tell exactly which one they, 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 they come from. As I said earlier, my dad's from the south, from, from Delta, and my, my mom's an Easterner. And it is unusual 
um, certainly in, in their times for marriages across across the tribes. You know, the, 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 the tribes tend to prefer that people marry within their own groups. You know, they believe it sort of lends to cohesion and to stability. And it was uh, it was um, a bit of a challenge for for Dad. How did they meet? Why were they together? But the way Dad tells it, he was he was he was uh, he was uh, he was at a football match and kicked the ball, missed the goal, sailed over, and rolled in front of this rather gorgeous young lady. Um, that's one version. There are about five different versions. That's a good version. That's though. the one I'm sticking with today. Would, uh, and your mother, she came from rather a grand family because all these tribes have their leaders. Yeah. Some yeah. of them have kings and queens. Yeah, some have chieftainesses. My, my, my father comes from a line of, of chiefs and my, my mother uh, comes from the royal family. So that technically makes me a prince, I guess. Not something I sort of... Um, <laughs> you don't need to talk about yeah. it because you exude it, if I may say so. <laughs> Something I never, I never bring up. It's not, it's not a very fashionable thing to bring up. Right, it isn't. For, but for a writer, no, certainly. But that's okay. I, I automatically <laughs> bow when you come into the room. So it doesn't, it's not a problem for me. Um, Charles, you're very funny. <laughs> but when I was growing up, I remember there was, the, there was a civil war. When I was at university, it was a big issue taken up in this country by a number of people uh, to do with Biafra. And um, the, the, the two principal tribes in Nigeria were literally taking part in a civil war where hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. Is this before your time? No, this, this is a parallel story to my life. In fact, it's um, right in the middle of my childhood. It bifurcates my childhood. It, completely divides my life into the innocence of England and um, and a return to Nigeria, a really great return, which, you know, was not what I expected. Um, what was promised me by my friends in England, my friends at school, was that um, I was going to go back to a land of, 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 you know, wandering lions and people living in trees and other such disturbing things and in fact what I found was a land kind of rich with noise and laughter and celebration and happiness and cars and streets and hospitals and everything you expect except vibrant I went back into a, a technical of vibrant world it was for me it was a tremendous awakening as a child I was like whoa um, how extraordinary it's like being at a fiesta but um, your first tree is what year are you born I was born in 59. 59. You spent two years as a little tiny boy yeah, yeah. in Nigeria before your parents come to England. When you're there, do you have, beyond the uh, groundnut pyramid, do you have any re recollections of your babyhood in Nigeria first time around? Oh, yes. I remember family, um, family friends, relations. You know, I remember going round to their houses, they come around to ours. It's a very Nigerian tradition that people visit one another and kind of like and eat. They come, they visit, they eat. They go visit someone else to eat. It's a lot of eating on the way of, of your various visits. And what sort of houses would the years have been in? Ah, now that, that I remember? cannot swear that I can remember. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't, that's, I remember the inside more than the, out, more than the outside. Remember the food at all? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Remember jollof rice, um, black-eyed beans, um, uh, pounded yam. I was too small for that. Fried plantain. 
And yeah. why did your parents decide to come to England? The other memory yeah. that I had, maybe the most important one, um, and my earliest memory, and perhaps maybe the first big trauma, um, maybe the second biggest trauma for my mother, um, was she, the day she took me to the market with friends. And um, I don't know why, I just, I suppose, I was curious. And I just took a crawl in wonder. I just wandered off into the marketplace. She turned around, looked. Apparently, I was very fast. I was a very fast mover. I could just, I just move very fast, and one minute I'm here, the next minute I'm, I'm gone. This is crawling. Yeah, I was, I was like very fast. My goodness. Um, she turned, looked, and I was gone. You know, she was, as you can imagine, tremendously upset. They ran round, looked around the whole marketplace. I'd, I'd gone. She was she pulling her hair out. She was distraught. Went to the police station. The, the police went everywhere looking. They thought it was a kidnapping. It, she put, the poor woman nearly went mad with grief. And that evening, an uncle of hers just came by carrying me. Apparently, they'd gone there so often. I'd mastered the route. And I'd just simply gone off to... Gone to your uncle? Gone to my uncle. You'd crawled all the way from your home, John. Yeah, from from the marketplace. From the yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I do not know how I did that. But it remains, um, yeah, it remains kind of like family mythology, alongside reading too early. So I have these this this wonder lost. I still have it. The reading too yeah, early. You can yeah. give me that now before we even get to England. When did you start reading then? Um, well, family mythology, which is sometimes not accurate at all, but there's a photograph. Uh, to um, clarify, uh, has me reading uh, the Times when I was about four. Gosh. People used to come visit, and I'd be holding, I'd be holding the paper, and people would think it's an adult sitting behind it, and they'll say, "Good morning, sir," and I'd lower it, and it'd be me. And my mother hated that, so she used to drive me out of the out of the living room Wonderful. Uh, because it was um, it was considered um, it was considered bad luck to show off what skills you have. Yeah. You're not supposed to, at least from my mother's side. Well, it's understandable. A, a kind of modesty was was, was central. Yeah. This precocious yeah. child, age yeah. four, reading yeah. the London Times yes, because you're exactly. now in London. Why did your parents move from Nigeria to England in oh, 1961? Um, Dad came to study. He came to study. He came to study law. And brought yeah. them your mother and brought, how brought, many children were brought, there? It was just me at just the time. You, at yeah. And where did they... What's, what's your first memory of England? Cold. <laughs> shiver. Yes. I'm watching my mum shiver. There's a story of mum sitting in the corner shivering, me sit, sitting in my whatever it is shivering, and uh, me saying something like, uh, Mum, why are, you, why, are you, why are you shaking like that? And, and Dad used to laugh about it years later, about me commenting on, Mum, not used to this. Oh. Yeah. So cold. Yeah, they came, they came, you see, they would have come around the time when it was beginning to be winter. Yeah. When I came back, when I came back to England, I thought I was coming at the right time of year. I turned up, I turned up in short sleeves and I froze. I was like, yeah. So you, you're a little boy in England and what's your first school? Oh, first school was a place called John Don's. Yes. What is it's your still, recollection of it? Um that I was practically the only black kid in the whole school. Um, till and someone were, you else, aware, were you aware of that, even as a small boy? 
Um, I was only aware of it when they began to pick on me. And they did, did they? Yes, and they did a lot. Yes, I was much picked on. Much picked on, much uh, had things thrown at. Um, yeah, much, much mocked, much. Can you but unfortunately, unfortunately, they weren't very bright in their, in their, in their mockery. Um, they, used to, they used to call me Oak Tree, um, which, was, which used to annoy me greatly at the time. But you oh, use it now because you remind people like me who say okri. No, it's okri as in oak tree. Oak tree and drop the tea, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it's not part of my mythology. So they called you oak tree. Well, they have the worst <laughs> things to be called. Could have been much. It, it be. seemed to me like the worst thing then. How ah, interesting. It's the way it's said. Uh, oak it's, tree. Yes, it's the way it's said. And how, really. did you re, how did you handle that, the, that teasing, bullying, unkindness? Well, I, it wasn't everyone who was unkind to me. I had a couple of, had a couple of uh, friends um, and a beautiful young girl who I remember who was, who was my secret friend. And how did I handle it? I, I, I collected comics. So I had one of the best collections of, of comics in that part of South London. What kind of comics? I mean, oh, the, uh, all the standard ones. I mean, the Beano the, the and the Dandy. And the English ones, not the American ones. I didn't graduate you to the American to Superman ones. And all that. I didn't get into Superman. Not at that time. So that yeah. was a kind of currency for you, those comics. Yeah, because I was the one you came to if you missed out on an issue. Um, and who were your, can you remember precisely who your first best friend was? Maybe um, it was the secret friend, the girl. The secret friend, she's definitely the one I remember the most. And who was she? What was she, what well, she looked well, like? Well, her name, um, am I going to get into trouble with this, Charles? No, because well, said, it depends, on the, depends what the memory is, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking four-year, five and six-year-olds here. I know. Um, no, it was, a, it was a girl called Sally, and um, she was very lovely and very friendly. And, um, but you kept it a secret. Did she want it to be kept a secret, or was it you who wanted to keep it a secret? Um, I think we both just kept it a secret. We're just very good friends. Yeah. And you just spent time together chatting. And chatting, telling stories, laughing, giggling. Playing games? Playing games. Very yeah. good. Yeah. And how long did this friendship last? How long were you and It lasted Sally? till I had to leave. So that was 11. Well, I know, when you went back to Nigeria. Yes, that was seven, six and a half, seven. Oh. Yeah. And can you remember the first boy you got to know in at the school? Um, I can't remember them very well, no. Oh, good, well, it's great that Sally is still... If <laughs> Sally, she, Sally. If she's looming and Sally, she's listening, could you get in touch? Sally, Sally, Sally stands out, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe she shouldn't get in touch. Because no, no, don't get in touch, Sally. I had Be a, happy. If you have a good memory of me, great. If not, yeah, yes. Just leave it perfect as it is. I had a bitter experience. There oh, was really? a girl at my secondary school who was incredibly beautiful um i mean she really was and she had a funny nickname something like pooks but she was obviously <laughs> out of my league and i realized she was out of my league one day when i gave her a rose and she crushed it and dropped it in no. front of me no whereas another girl i know i'd given a rose to she at least walked around the block before dropping it this girl actually crushed it in my oh, and, and no. dropped it on the ground. Oh my God! Well, many years later, I went to speak to a women's institute type of event in the Midlands, and before I went, there I was told that there was going to be one of the people there would be a girl who was at school with me. Uh, 
and it clearly <laughs> was this girl. So I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The anyway, rose crusher. <laughs> so I, I arrived at Leicester Station. It was Leicester Station. I got into the car and I was met by the secretary of this society who was a farmer's wife, large lady, uh, perfectly pleasant, large lady. And, and she took me to the lunch and I spent the whole of the lunch looking over the, looking, scanning the room, <laughs> trying to recognise uh, Poops, who had been the most beautiful girl of her generation, okay? And, and there were sort of curious longings were coming back over a period of 40 years as I get, and I literally went down each table, going down that side, up this side, and there were perhaps 200 women there. And anyway, I couldn't see her, and eventually I was taken back to the station by the same a perfectly amiable large lady who was the farmer's wife. And as I got out of the car at Leicester Station, she leant across the now empty passenger seat, looked up at me and said, you don't, don't remember, remember me, Charles, do you? do you? Oh, wow, my God. And she had been the person who met me at the station and I did not remember Pooks. Oh, my God. And she was not as I remembered her. Oh, my goodness. So I don't know who comes out of this story worse. I think probably me. Um, so these can be complicated things. I think, so, I think, Sally, I think, I think uh, it's best left as a Don't wrote. get in touch with Ben, the oak tree. Uh, he doesn't want to know. He wants to remember you as you were when you were four and gorgeous. Hello, it's Giles here, and I'm delighted that this series of Rosebud is sponsored by one of the finest hotels in the world. That's no exaggeration, the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. We often record Rosebud at the Grosvenor House itself, and afterwards I always make sure I pop down to their beautiful park room for some tea and cake. Cake is my one weakness. Afternoon tea is naturally my favourite meal of the day. I'm excited to tell you that in the run-up to the festive season, Grosvenor House are offering a very special afternoon tea to celebrate a much-loved Christmas story, The Snowman by Raymond Briggs. Yes, I knew him too. The magical menu features five limited-edition cakes and pastries inspired by The Snowman. Delicious finger sandwiches, scones, clotted cream and jam, a pot of newbie fine tea, and even a glass of champagne. This tea promises to be an enchanting experience for all generations and is available from the 17th of November. Visit www.parkroom.co.uk. That's www.parkroom, all one word, .co.uk to book. You never know, I might just see you there. And when you do book your snowman tea, tell them that Giles sent you. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
So, why did your parents then go back? Why did they take you back to Nigeria? Well, they finished their education. Dad had got his degree, finished... finished um, Was he becoming a lawyer? Yeah. yeah. He did his course in kind of record time, actually. Well done him. Yeah. And, and when, when it was done, he, he just wanted to get back and be part of that great story of a young independent nation. Yeah. So, you go back, and what is your first recollection? Because by now... You're seven years, six, seven years old. So you now can remember that. What's the first impact of returning to your homeland? Well, my first recollection is staring at the trees, hoping to find people, well, hoping not to find people living in them and finding that there were trees without people living in them. Is that what they, they, t- they told you, the people at school? Yes. Uh, Nigerians yes. for the people living in trees? Yeah, in Africa. It wasn't Nigeria, it was Africa. They didn't know about Nigeria. Yes. That was no. too, much, too yes. much detail. That was too, that was too specific. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I remember looking at trees for a long time as we, as we approached, because <laughs> we, we went back by boat. Yeah, wow. we didn't fly back. We went back by boat. So it was, um, it was a gradual transition from one climate to another, different sea, different, different turbulence of sea to another. It was, a, it, was a tr- it was the best way to go back, actually. It was just a gentle um, initiation back. I was just looking at the palm trees as we were getting. I was like, can I see people? Can I see people? And looking on the shore, can I see lions? Can I see lions? Totally disappointed. Um, Are there lions in Nigeria? No, you can't see them in the streets. They might be in the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> but what is the, what is the what are the wild animals of Nigeria? What you, you can see in the streets? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Dogs? Well, no, but it may be in, in the forests, in the woodland. I mean, people go to other African countries, yes, yes. notably in southern yeah, Africa, yeah. to actually in the wild yeah. see wild animals. So it's not that unusual. Yeah, in yeah but Nigeria, Nigeria has. You, you'll have to go into the bush. You'll have to go into the forest to uh, encounter. Um, Nigerian, Nigerian boar. We don't really have lions. And when you returned, was this at the time of the Civil War? No, we returned uh, in 1966, just before. It was a time of the coups. So you, I, didn't, I did you, not know about the coups. You had no idea when you landed, no, you were I, arriving I, in a country. I arrived that, into a place that seemed to me to be a celebratory dream of a nation, because I had people dancing, celebrating our return. It was wonderful. There yeah. was sunshine, beauty, there was sunshine, color. and there was a whole, people had a, they knew when we were coming back, and they'd, you know, they'd come to greet us, and from there I went into a world of re- endless relations. It was a, suddenly, suddenly had this feeling that the whole nation was related to me in some way. It was extraordinary. And I just never stopped meeting relations for, for the first year. And when was your first intimation that things were in your country were not as they should be? I'd hear, I'd hear mum and dad talking. People would come around and hear them talking and arguing. And I hear about people sort of saying that they were leaving and suddenly relations would leave, friends would leave Lagos, go back to their home, homeland. People were just mysteriously going back. There was cause, and then you heard about troubles, you heard about beatings, you heard about killings of Igbos um, in the north. You know, but alongside this vibrant daily world you were living in. So these were just little stories. Then I got sent off to school. I got sent to boarding school. A boarding school? Is that unusual in Nigeria? There's a lot of boarding school. A lot of boarding schools. But your parents yeah. were relatively well off. Yeah, they were. I mean, yeah. Your, your yeah. mother came from a family of, yeah. of chieftains, your father, no, the other way around. The other way around. Yeah. yeah. And your mother was related to a royal family. Yeah, but yeah, but you, you, you still have to, you know, you still have to make your own money. Oh. Being part of the royal family doesn't guarantee wealth in any way. Oh. 
uh, where was the boarding school? And in, what is in, your first memory in, of that? In, oh, it was, boarding school was in uh, was in Ibado, in the west. Um, and I, I kind of hated being away from home. Um, hated being away from from mum and dad. But at, but at the same time, I kind of liked the strange solitude. It's a big campus. You could just get lost. You take a book and you just go to a far corner and read under a tree, not an oak tree. <laughs> I loved boarding school and I yeah. did read under what? an oak tree. I loved being on my own in a world of my own yes. where I felt it was my territory. Yes. Did you have, at your boarding school, did you have teachers that you particularly bonded with? Who's your first important teacher in your life? Uh, the f- well, the first important teacher that I remember was, um, was at school in, in London, actually. Oh. was my literature teacher, my English teacher. But she taught us Shakespeare. And, and I when you were small, when you were six. Yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't a full no. version of Shakespeare. It was the lamb version. No. And sometimes we saw performances. That made a big impression on me because I remember always being the one, sticking my hand up, which always annoyed people. That didn't help. The oak tree syndrome. Of course. Um, Did you sit in the front row as well? No, I wasn't in the front, but I stuck my hand out wherever I was. Uh, Why, were you a front row kid? In the middle of the front row (laughs) with my hand. I I almost walked into the classroom with my hand up. And I sat in the front row, ready for action. So so like me, you're a hand up a person. Totally, permanently. Yes, I was like... Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you later when you first realised you were remarkable, but it doesn't come later, it clearly comes at this age. When, when did you first realise that you were remarkable, that you were unusual? Well, I, I don't think I ever really felt I was unusual. I don't know, I think I felt like I came to this world with a, the light on in my head. It was always on, as far as I can remember. What's your first bad memory? My first bad memory? Um, uh, during the war, when I discovered that there was a war on, and I went wandering one day. We were back to that theme again. Yeah. I went wandering one day, left the house. Uh, you weren't supposed to. Mum was in hiding because she belonged to the enemy tribe at the time. And I had been confined too long, and I just went wandering. Didn't tell anybody. Out into the streets. I needed a walk. And I'd not gone very far. It was evening. And I saw this person on the floor with giant eyes staring at me. It was only after a while I realized that this person was dead and had been dead for a while. And there was a gash, but it was the eyes. I don't know what they'd done to it. I don't know whether they'd smashed it, but it was huge. And it was staring at me. And, and I was just there mesmerized by this. And then I became aware that uh, it wasn't the only body and I was like, I was just struck, trying to make sense of this. And then someone scooped me up and carried me off into what became a, a, a kind of a series of hallucinations, illnesses. I, I, I was kind of very disturbed by it. I had to be taken off to the village, to witch doctors, to sort of have the eyes taken out of my, my mind as it were. And did the witch doctors succeed? Did they yes, help you? Yes, succeeded tremendously, yeah. I mean, we yeah. talk about witch doctors. Yeah. Or, or herbalists. Exactly, yeah. I was going to say, put herbalists. that in context. I prefer, herb- I prefer the word herbalist. That takes us back yeah. to the picture that the yeah. other children at your school in Peckham had of yeah. what they thought happened in Africa. They would be living in trees and witch doctors in huts. I don't, think, I don't think they were sophisticated enough for witch doctors. Ah. Yeah, but um, yeah. 
But witch doctors, did every village have a witch doctor? Or a Let's use the word herbalist. Yeah. A herbalist is a better phrase. A herbalist is somebody who is a, a master of the use of, of all the herbs of the earth, the roots, the bark, the leaves, as well as other rituals and other forms of, of light, heat, and water treatments and sounds, incantations, and dances, and drums, and a whole array of things by which to pull people out of their sicknesses, their illnesses, diseases, fears, obsessions, madnesses, hallucinations, failures, losses, griefs. Yeah, and were. given that you had been yeah. studying Shakespeare age six, you might have been familiar with the Weird Sisters. Oh, very familiar with the Weird Sisters, of course. So, it, and did it work? I mean, do you oh, well, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I was, I was, I was very disturbed, and I, I, I was taken, taken to, to to this man in his in his heart, and left there. Um, he put a blanket over me. He made certain sounds. He took the blanket off. He spoke to things around me. He pulled the eye out of my brain. He says, you'll be fine. He gave me certain potions. And before I knew it, I was out, I was out, I was out running about, climbing trees, and I was a child again. Well done. You yeah. went back home. Yeah. But you say your mother was in hiding. Do you mean she was literally having to hide in the house? She was having to hide. We were having to hide her because they were, they were, at the time they were pulling out people from the, um, the Igbo tribe, people who were Igbos, and they're pulling them out and in many cases just beating them up, in some cases shooting them, in some cases... If there were soldiers or, you know, and uh, young men, they were brought up and they were shot. It didn't begin that way. It, it, it became that way. And you were young enough to avoid having to take part in this. You didn't become one of the soldiers on either side. No, goodness, no. But no, I imagine me, you had friends or family who... Or family on all sides. Absolutely. On all on sides. All sides. That, was my, that was... When people ask me, what was it? When you asked about remarkable... When did you become... Mm. That... That moment was the moment that made me a, a thinker, a writer, a human being, a poet, an activist, a seeker after justice, a believer in beauty. That, that, that moment of seeing what people can do. Um, and can with, you be with, more with specific with about saying that moment? Obviously, with, the, with hindsight, it's a sort of period of time. But can you remember a day in which you suddenly thought... Uh, I it must do something. It was that moment, that, that moment with the eyes. Oh. I, was, I, I came back and I kept asking myself, why do people do that? What is death? I mean, I was hit, I was hit, it was not the eyes, it's, it was encountering death in the most naked um, and in the most um, gruesome public um, way that, that did it. Suddenly, I, suddenly at the age of six or seven or eight, I had to deal with death. Dad couldn't explain to me what had happened. Mom couldn't. It was too difficult to... I'd been, I'd been poisoned. I'd been poisoned by this sight. And when and did I'd you... I've been asking questions ever since. It led me to philosophy. led me to reading, reading my way through my dad's library. led me to libraries and bookshops, asking questions, looking for answers in books and people and traditions and myths and stories. It's... it's yeah. So that... That, that's how you began this journey. That's how I began this journey. That in some ways yeah. you're still on. That I'm still on, absolutely. When did you write your first sentence, your first creative sentence? How old were you? I think I was about 16. 
Oh, quite quite a bit later. So yeah. during this period, you're accumulating. You're not actually beginning to write poems as a boy. No, I I was writing love poems, but I didn't think of them as serious. And I was I, I, I wanted to be a scientist. You have to understand that I wanted to be a scientist. I thought I was going to be a scientist. I, you know, Isaac Newton was my hero. You know, I loved I loved science, physics, chemistry, biology. I was mathematics. You know, but the funny thing is, while I loved all of that, what did I do in my spare time? I was reading under the under the blankets out out in the woods, out in the fields. Was I carrying with me, you know, my sort of O level chemistry uh, physics book to sort of read in my spare? No, I'd be reading Orwell. I or, read under the blankets at school as well. Yeah. Oh, did you have a torch like I had? I had a torch. I had a torch. Had a special that had, torch. Did you have one with three colours? I had one that had three settings. Yeah. yeah. Mine had three settings, yeah. and one setting was red, one, wow. se one setting was green, and one setting was li yellow, like a normal light. And I used to, when I was reading things, uh, uh, make the light appropriate to what I was reading. So, so if it was a very sexy book, it would be, it would be read, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, yes. Well, it was high adventure, put it that way. I don't think I... This is before I got into very sexy books. Uh, but it was... So what did... You were under the bedclothes with your torch? Oh, yes, reading. absolutely. The There's torch. no better way, actually, it's of reading. It's the best reading. way to read. So it's like you could under be... Under the bedclothes. Oh, you could, be in a, you could be in a Sahara desert all by yourself in a tent. What's the first yeah. book you remember, specific book that is your childhood book? Oh, I think I think it was Tales from Homer. Oh. It was Tales from Homer. It's why I've become a, a dedicated Homerian. And then the Arabian Nights, and then um, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then it was the Shakespeare mystery wonder plays. Yeah. Uh, like the Tempest, from those sorts like of plays. Like the Tempest. Yeah. Like... Um, Winter's Tale or Midsummer Night's Dream? Midsummer Night's uh, yes. Dream. Yes. I I, well, yeah. I'm with you there with Midsummer Night's Dream. That was, for me, yeah. the first big one. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah. Alice in Wonderland, Alice was my first fixation. Your, your first crush, yes? My first, well, I, I'm confused about my first crush. Sometimes it's Alice in Wonderland, other times it's Joan of Arc. But oh. perhaps we shouldn't go there. Yeah, well, I think it... <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to be talking about your first, no. not mine. mentioned love letters, love poems, and lo were there love letters as well? Love and poems. Who when, was I, the when, I, when I went to write, when I wanted to get in touch with, it's, it tended to be poetry for some reason. And who was your first proper girlfriend, as opposed to Sally, your childhood friend? Oh. She's, he's now trying to discount Sally. No, I'm not no. trying to discount her. I'm just giving, I'm moving on from the innocence of the four-year-old friendship <laughs> to something more mature that came post-puberty. Well, my my first um, <laughs> my first she wasn't a girlfriend, but let's just say my first initiation into all of that interesting territory happened um, uh, uh, a bit a bit for me a bit on the young side, I guess. Um, no, it was just a, it was just a it was just a young girl in um, in the neighbourhood who was a bit older than me. And took me through the rights. I didn't know that I was being taken through. That's okay. We're, we're, I mean, I'm just letting you, if you want to expand, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. Uh, do you remember your first heartache, though? Do you remember the first rejection? Yes. I've told you about the crushed rose in my life, which was yes. perhaps sharing too much. 
No, it was just a crushed rose. It could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been a crushed heart, exactly, <laughs> indeed. Or crushed something else. You're quite right. <laughs> um, well, I had a few of those, um, hence the love poems. You don't write, you don't write love poems if, if you've been very successful. Oh, you don't like write love poems when things are going well. <laughs> of course you don't. <laughs> so love poetry is written out of disappointment, despair, and thwarted lust. Uh, yeah, and, and on, on, on attainable circumstances. Oh. Yeah. Can you remember the very first poem that you wrote? Have you kept it? No, uh, Giles, I'm so sorry. Um, I, had, I had about a hundred of them. And... Um, I wrote quite a few to this one, one girl, who shall not be named, and she she was not interested. Um, I'm I'm very sad to say that she was not interested, not because she was not interested in me, uh, but because um, I, th- I I think my family circumstances were not grand enough for her. Mm. Yes, I think I was I think I was judged on on my finances. What's mm. interesting for people like me who don't know what Nigeria was like then, is clearly how, A, the tribal thing, but also the status thing was very significant. Yeah. You know, we think of Britain being a very class-conscious society, yeah. well, and it certainly was two generations ago, but clearly the same sort of thing was happening in Nigeria. Oh, yeah, we're very status-conscious, very status-conscious. People, you know, not, not everybody, but, you know, families, if you're going to marry into... The first thing they're interested in is, um, you know, what's what what? Uh, how respectable is he? What's his level of income? What are we talking about here? Is this someone who can look after my daughter, you know, successfully and consistently for the rest of his life? Severe questions. So status is very, very, very important. I think status is also important because of the fluctuating conditions of of economics and people's lives, and people have to be sure. The reality of the Civil War clearly has informed your whole life. When did you then leave Nigeria next, and why? We jump ahead uh, to, to when I'm around 18, 19, written my first novel, written my first novel, written short stories, poems, wrote about 100 poems, burnt all of them, kept only five. And this is, is, is when it, you're still at school? This is afterwards. Teen? It was like my teens. I left, finished school. I, fin- I left school. I finished school very early. I what finished school when I was about 14. Oh. And, and what was, happened then? I was going to go to university at 14. I actually applied to go to university, but I was too young. Mm-hmm. So I spent the rest of the time just waiting to get older. But meanwhile, I was reading. And I read my way through my dad's library. And in the, in the process of that reading, I read f- myself away f- from wanting to be a scientist to wanting to be a writer. My dad's library <laughs> really, in effect, changed my life. And you wrote a novel? And I began a short story about uh, the conditions of the poor around me because my father's life had taken a bit of a tumble. We're now living on the, in the poor parts of Lagos. Um, and I, for the first time, I got to see how, people, how the poor really lived in Nigeria. Quite astonishing. Um, astonishing in the sense that you find that most Nigerians, most Nigerian writers are properly and solidly middle class. Um, and very few of them actually really know poverty. Um, so for me, for me, while it was terrible for my dad going through that and working his way out of it, of course, which he did, um, 
For me, it was one of the greatest educations of my life, actually. His, his fall from grace was a byproduct of the war. He had been a successful lawyer, yeah, and yeah. then because of the war, part, the work ended. Or what part, partly the war, partly uh, mishaps, some bad luck. Yeah. And, um, so you end up in living in some poverty. Yeah, in some, in some, in some poverty. And what's your first recollection of being, were you ever hungry? We went through hungry. We went through hungry periods. Went through hungry periods, um, and um, you know what was uh, my first recollection of that period is not the hunger. It's my father. It's actually I got to see my father very close up, and I got to see that he was not only a true classicist in the sense that he was a Stoic, and I learned from him the whole Stoic philosophy, but I got to see really close at hand how he did not allow his circumstances to change who he was. He carried himself with the same dignity when we were living in the rough part of Lagos as when we were living in, in, in the better parts. Same, same pride, same straightness of bearing, same head held up, same briefcase, same stride. And I saw this very close up with the difficulties, the poverty, money troubles, um, the judgments of other members of other parts of the family on us. I got to see how this man held, him, held himself. And I think, it's, I think for me, I think it's one of the most extraordinary lessons, visions of, of my life. He, he, this, man was not, this man was not shaken by what had happened to him. He showed no sign at all that um, it was a judgment of his intelligence or of his spirit. Yeah, left a big imprint. And how did your mother me. cope with this change of fortune? Um, my mother coped in a my mother coped in a very different way. She told stories. Their their marriage had uh, sadly fallen apart, and I spent time between visiting. They separated. Yes. And is this yeah. done in Nigeria? Was that a big scandal? But perhaps not because no. they came from different tribes. Yes. Anyway. No. You know, no. You can. You can. Uh, you can. You can. You can marry as many wives as you want, and you can. Yeah, you can. There's a lot of... It, it, the society tilts a bit more towards what men can get away with. Yeah, so yeah, the women are not yeah. marrying as often as they want. Yeah, but, no, the, but, no. the, but the men yeah, are. The men, the men can. Your parents are split up. You're abandoning science and turning to the world of, of writing. These poems, these short yeah. stories, eventually yeah. a novel. You're still not employed. Do you go to university? Do you apply for university? Oh, yes, I do, but I'm too young to go. So I, so I, what do I do instead? I sort of start to write. I read and I, I get employment. I work for a you know paint company. I work for a magazine. That's so your first job is working for a paint company. Yeah, selling paint, mixing paint. No, no, no. It's a paint. It's an ICI. It's a big oh big conglomerate. I was think, thinking uh, no. of you being like Charles Dickens in no. the sort of blacking shop. No. But no. This is a no, big, this, this is Lagos. I see I've got a big, big works. Big, yes, exactly. And I'm there as a junior clerk, sort of filing paper and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, while quite, writing my novel in between. Looking quite smart when you go to Looking work. quite smart with a, with a tie. Uh, yeah. You have to clock in at, at 8 o'clock, 7.38. Uh, and I'm living miles away. It takes about two and a half hours because of traffic to get there. You go by, you have a car, a little car. No, I have to go by, no, go by bus. You go by bus. Yes, not public transport, no. Private transport. A, a, a kind of village bus that's arranged by all local those, people. All those buses, painted yellow, um, entrepreneurial buses, 
full of characters, drivers, and yes, Pe- people hanging onto the side because people the bus is so crowded. People hanging onto the side because yeah, and you have to jump on. You have to the bus swerves into the bus stop, and you have to you have to jump. You have to get the trajectory right. You have to jump on and in in a single leap. Um, oh yeah, you may find this hard to believe, but that happened in London too when I was yeah. a child. The buses yeah. were they were open buses <laughs> at the back. And you you jumped onto the platform <laughs> at the back. But you didn't, at least you didn't jump onto your seat. No, you didn't jump onto your seat. <laughs> well, that's no. what we did. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I take your Nigerian bus and I, I raise my London bus. But you still jumped on. And I love that. And you, there was a bar that you hung on and you could jump off. And I love to jump off. But at a certain speed when I knew it would be all right and land running. Yeah, land running. I, yeah, I, can, yeah, I, can see you, I can see you doing that, Jairus. So yeah. while you're doing this, you're writing the novel. What, what is your first moment of success? My first moment of success was writing an article about a family that had been thrown out of their house on practically a whim by the landlord. Actually, not a whim. It was a financial decision. He wanted people who were going to pay more money. And he wanted his family, family out, use their rooms, double the rent. And he wanted them out like now. Now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. And just simply got his boys, went in there, got their things, threw their things out into the street, kicked the the people themselves out into the street, and then ushered the new tenants in. And I I, I saw this, it was happening next door. I was so shocked. I wrote an article about it. Can people, is this justice? Can people get away with this? I wrote a whole essay about it. Sent it off to the newspapers, hardly expecting anything to happen. A week went by. I was reading the papers one day, turned to the centre, centre, giant centre spread, huge name in the middle. And it was, it was my name. I closed it, because I imagined I was dreaming. I said nothing. Then I, I heard my, my dad was reading. Then I heard my dad say, Ben. And I thought, oh dear. And... Um, at that same moment, all across Lagos, people were reading that same, same essay. That was, that was a moment for me. Yeah. You suddenly, suddenly had a public voice. I suddenly realized that, um, that there are many different kinds of action and that writing was a very powerful form of action. Um, of course, I, I went into uh, an imaginative overload and imagined all the essays I could write about all the other acts of injustice I was seeing all around me and wrote endless number of essays, sent them into the same newspaper and waited day after day, week after week, month after month, and nothing appeared. <laughs> <laughs> nothing appeared. I'd had my one moment. And I thought, oh. So I took one of those stories about water tanks because what, what the, you know, there was no water that came to the police to get water tanks you know, bring them round and then they'll decant water to each house and things could get into the water tanks that's how sometimes people fell ill and, and I wrote an essay about that wasn't published so I wrote a short story about it it just occurred to me I could do the same thing with a short story and the short story was published in a woman's magazine and that was a big revelation for me, that you can tell a story about anything if you know how. Big moment. It was a moment of liberation. Um, and I wrote several short stories that were published in various magazines. And then one of those stories 
refused to be a story and just kept growing and growing and growing. And it became a novel called Flowers and Shadows. And that novel was published? It was not published in Nigeria. I sent it to all the publishers in Nigeria I could find, and they all turned it down. Mostly didn't respond at all. Um, I lost a lot of copies. Um, and um, I came to England to study literature. I'm where, brought, where, where did you go to study literature? I came to England with my suitcase, my yeah. novel in a suitcase, and a couple of shoes. And, and what, what university did you get into? I, I, I went to University of Essex. Your first commercial success in this country, the first time you were published as a novelist, was when and by whom? My first publication was uh, this novel called Flowers and Shadows that I brought with me mm-hmm. from Nigeria and rewrote when I was in London and sent it off to many people, including uh, Longmans. Um, and one day I got a strange letter from them, opened it, couldn't believe what I was reading. Gave it to my uncle to read so he could confirm what I was reading. I gave it to another uncle so they could confirm. Uh, yes, he said they were going to publish the novel. Can you come and see us? Um, and we can talk about how we can do this. Extraordinary. Went to see them. It was supposed to come out in uh, 1980. It was supposed to come out in 1979 because I sent them the novel in 1978. And you would have been 19 or 20 at the time? I would have been 19 at the time, yeah, 1920. Extraordinary. And did they publish it? Yes, but it took them two years rather than one year, which by the time they'd published it, I'd outgrown it, written another novel. When it turned up, I was a little bit ashamed of it, as you, as you do when you're very young. What was your first bad review? Oh, what? Well, it does not go with the territory of writing. Uh, yes, but do you remember it? Because I find the criticism one remembers far more than the praise. Yeah, I do remember the phrasing of some some bad reviews. Um, there was a BBC review of the of Flowers and Shadows when it came out. Um, a nice review, except for one curious sentence. I think it began. I think the review began by saying this book will not win any prizes, but and. <laughs> <laughs> it was the absolute certainty. <laughs> I was very disturbed by that certainty. Really, would not win like any <laughs> any prizes whatsoever. But why now, not? <laughs> you have since become the master of winning prizes. What's the first big prize you won? Um, what do you mean by big? Well, I mean you can show off because I'm giving you the license to. That's why I'm saying big prize. Well, the first, the biggest prize, of course, is the Booker, but I'd won some other really important prizes on the way. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So, we're not really supposed to go beyond the firsts in your life. So, any firsts that you haven't shared that you would like to share? Uh, Firsts. Different firsts. First, the first time of something happening to you, so it's arresting, so it's remarkable. The first time you heard applause and felt, oh, yes, I like this. The first time... I'll tell you a big first. Yeah. It was when uh, Flowers and Shadows was published. This book that would not win any prizes <laughs> was published. And I went um, home to see my father. Um, and for some reason, the novel caught a lot of interest in Nigeria. There were people who were a bit amazed that someone that young could have written a novel. Um, and there was a lot of and my father was very doubtful about the fact that I was going to be a writer. He really thought that writing was a risky, risky thing to do. Um, 
and he kept teasing me about it. Um, and then one day he went to court. He was, he'd since lifted himself up from his difficult circumstances. And he went to court one day. He was defending um, uh, someone accused of, uh, of robbery. Um, and in the midst of the, the, the hearing, the judge summoned my father over, just called him over and asked him if he had a, a brother who was a writer. My father said, why? Uh, he says, well, I've been reading his novel. It's very good. His name is Ben Okri. And my father drew up slightly <laughs> taller and says, well, actually, he's my son. And I think that that was a defining moment. I think after that, my father never bothered me again about becoming a writer. Well done. Yeah, that That's was lovely. It took a judge to do it. I'm implying that once you hit the ground with your first two novels, that it rolls effortlessly out of you and it's all, you know, streaming success until we are where we are today. But in fact, you did have some tough yeah, times. Were you, were you homeless for a while? I remember yes, I was, I was homeless for a while. And why, did, why were you homeless? Because the novels, they paid you in advance, but it wasn't a big one. Well, no, that's no, that wasn't the cause of the homelessness. I, I, had, a, I had a scholarship. I had a scholarship to, that paid for me to go to university to study uh, literature and philosophy um, at the University of Essex. I had a scholarship from Nigeria, a perfectly respectable scholarship with decent money. I was, I was properly set up. Um, and then what tends to happen with these things, the scholarship vanished. Something happened to the money. Something, something happened to the funds. And one day it wasn't paid. And a year went by, it wasn't paid, and I had to, I had to leave. So you left university? I had to leave university because my fees was not being paid by the scholarship. And that's when the homeless period began. So you have yeah. honorary degrees, but not an actual degree. That no, you, yes, I have many honorary degrees. But, but, but not the one yeah, that you actually... Not, not the one I was supposed to be given. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you just left and, and you were homeless? I mean, in the sense of you had nowhere to live yeah, at night? Yeah, nowhere to live. When I, left, when I left university and came to London, I really didn't have anywhere to live. So where yeah. did you live? Where well, does one live? What happens? There are certain park benches that I grew familiar with, certain, certain tube stations that I got to know very well. Um, Charing Cross in those days, you could, just, you could, you could sleep inside Charing Cross Station. Um, there are certain banks with uh, the, 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 the bank doors that has lovely heating just above it meant for, 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 for clients in the winter that you could crouch in and you, could, and read, you can read your Ezra Pound and your four quartets crouched. I didn't have a decent jacket. I didn't have an overcoat in those days. I don't know how I survived. I did not have an overcoat. I, didn't have, I remember when I, first, when I bought my first overcoat. I wasn't going to ask you about your first overcoat, no. but I'm pleased now that you've brought it up because this is all about firsts. Can you describe that first overcoat when you eventually got one? I think it was, uh, I think it would be 1987, 88, 87, um, from an advance that I got from one of my book of short stories and I could suddenly afford an overcoat. Yeah. It, was a, it, it, was a, it was a very cheap overcoat, but I suddenly knew the difference between having an overcoat and not having one. I was, I was warmer. It was rather long on the arms. Um, I hadn't bothered to check to make sure that the size was right. And when you were homeless, were you also friendless? Was it a lonely time? I knew, I knew a lot of people. I, I knew a lot of people, but I, I did not feel that I could impose on them. Um, so they knew me. They'd, I'd go to pubs. I'd go to centres. They would see me in the daytime looking normal with jeans and a shirt 
but they did not know that I was homeless. It, only, it was only towards the end when it got very difficult that I asked a friend to loan me 300 quid. And with that, I got a flat. And then I began to sort things out. But, yeah, yeah, it's... Um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's shame. I, th- I think it was also the fact that there was a kind of a romance attached to it in my mind at that time as well. Um, it was another way of getting to see the world. And now you are where you are, hugely respected. You've won these prizes. You're, you're published whenever you want to write anything, you're published. You have a wife who I've seen dance. And she and dances. You've seen, and you've seen my daughter. I've seen your daughter. Have I seen more than one daughter? Are there more, is there more than one? No, you've seen the one daughter reciting the first verse, the first, yeah. first four lines, first five lines of the waistline. Because this was a yes. performance I saw yes. last year, and yes. it was sensational. Yes. Is, that, is that your family, your that wife is, and is, your one daughter? That is my family. Yeah. And do you have a first associated with them? Can you remember the first moment you saw your daughter? The first moment I saw my daughter was a, was a truly... Um, I'm still recovering from that, to be honest with you. Um, I wrote a long poem about it, which is in my last book of poems called A Fire in My Head. And her birth was, and it remains one of the fires in my head, because I was actually there when she emerged into the world with her eyes open. Yeah. What water birth. Well, we must read the poem. Mm. What, let's come to a conclusion now. We must give you the last word. What do you say to your daughter? What are your hopes for her world? Oh, my goodness. Um, she's already on her way, actually. How old is she now? She's six and a half. She's already on her way. She's already an eco-warrior. She's already brave. She already gives readings. She gives re- I imagine at four she was reading, if not the Times, certainly the Guardian. She's reading everything right now. Encyclopedias, books of mythology. She corrects my mythology, gives me facts about science and various sea animals that I, I don't even know how to pronounce their names. What do I say, what do I say to her? Um, don't let your life be cut from one, one cloth of expectation. I would say be open to the full richness of life that's coming at you. I'd say to her, it's not, it's not what comes at you, it's not what happens to you, it's not the life, really, finally, that counts. It's your spirit. It's your courage, it's your love, it's your fearlessness, your adaptability, your, um, the gift of your spirit that you brought with you, those open eyes. Make the best gift, Mirabella. Make the greatest gift of yourself to this life. Thank you for the gift you've given us in this conversation. Well done, Ben. Oh, thank you, Giles. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Revelatory, too. Anyway, before I say goodbye, let's hear some of your first memories. We've had an email from Yvette Molloy. She writes, Hello, Giles. My first memory is from a three-year-old Yvette. I lived in Shropshire. And on a summer's day, my mum gave me some money and allowed me to run up to the top of the road to the ice cream van. I ordered a Mr. Whippy Cone with raspberry sauce on top. I was so happy. I ran back down the road with a big smile across my face. Sadly, the speed of my running caused the ice cream to fall out of the cone. It landed on the pavement and my heart broke. I was terribly sad. I think this is a bit like life. My message is simply this. 
When something good comes your way, slow down and take time to enjoy it. Well, we hope something good came your way this week on Rosebud. And if you did enjoy it, well, just slow down over the next week. Next Friday, we'll be downloading another intriguing episode, we hope, of Rosebud, the podcast where memorable people share their first memories. Rosebud is produced by Harriet Jane, artwork by Freya Betts, and music by Phil Leppard. 